the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Healthcare premiums through the roof. So much to think about when it comes to healthcare. Who do you talk to? Where do you go next? Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now with host Mark Chea, Larry Jones, and from Orlando Medical News, John Kelly. And now let's head into the Healthcare Now studios. Good morning and welcome to Healthcare Now, Central Florida's newest healthcare talk show. I'm John Kelly, publisher of the Orlando Medical News. Joining me this morning are two of Central Florida's most committed healthcare advocates, co-host Mark Chayat, MD, and Larry Jones. Dr. Mark is a pediatric surgeon. He has practiced medicine in Central Florida since 1997 and is president of Pediatric Surgery PA. Larry Jones is the executive director of the Integrated Independent Physicians and CEO of Independent Healthcare Partners, headquartered in Maitland, Florida. Larry has worked on both the payer and provider side of healthcare and understands healthcare, its challenges and opportunities. Let's continue our discussion with Larry. What are we going to talk about, Larry? Yeah, good morning, John. Good morning, Dr. Mark. Good morning, guys. Uh, good to see you this morning. You know, I think before we jump into our topics, which we're going to talk a little bit about the ACA. Sure. You know, there was a headline in the paper this morning. Always ACA news. window reopens to plug the gap. Yep. I think we uh, heard about it like right yep. after the election that yep. this was going to be a plan and then the day has come. Yep. But you want to yeah. Tell the audience, I'm, I think sure. people have heard a little bit about it, but yeah. it's pretty easy. Pretty yeah, easy. The details. Biden administration signed an executive order mm-hmm. allowing for a 60-day open enrollment period between February 15th and May 15th to give people that didn't have an opportunity to join in an ACA program, predicting that there were 3 million people that became uninsured during the latter part of last year. Right. And so this is an opportunity for them to... Right, because yeah, and that's yep. that's actually twice the time that it was open on its normal that's window, right. That's right. and the normal window is kind of the normal window yep. for signing up for insurance at the end of the year. Yep. You know, uh, and before we get too deep into that, I'd like to mention that uh, we also got a report on Friday that over 35 million Americans have now had at least one shot of the COVID vaccination. The COVID vaccine. Yeah, and Florida's done really well. We've got over three million. Have gotten yeah. one shot and over over yeah. a million and a half, I think that have gotten two. That's right. That's right. And you know we're that's not a lot compared to three hundred plus million. No, but uh, we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting yeah. there. Yeah. And we got you got to yeah. minus out all the kids that aren't aren't planning to get them at this stage too. So we're uh, we're our percentages yeah. look yeah. look better. They look better. Right. Uh, you know the other thing that this ACA uh, new window that they're allowing, and again, you're right, it's twice as long as the original right. one in the fall for an, for a new open enrollment period. Under the uh, uh, COVID relief plans under Biden, they've also beefed up the subsidies right, on right. patients. So, right. So, yeah, some of the some of yeah. the money coming out of the ref- yeah. relief fund will actually right. pay for some of these plans. Right. Or, or well, a good more. example is a family of four making fifty thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. would pay sixty seven dollars a month in premiums for a standard plan versus in the 
Back in the fall, they would have paid $252. Oh, I got you. So that's how the plan right, has right, right. actually improved. Okay. But, you know, the the thing that I think is interesting is the ACA, when you qualify for subsidies, is a good thing. Right. If you don't qualify for subsidies, it's just let insurance. me give you some numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's just you insurance. Know, right. I, I, know one, I know a person that uh, has the regular uh, plan with no subsidies, right. makes about $70,000 a year, mm-hmm. pays $1,100 a month in premium, has yeah. an $8,000 out-of-pocket maximum. Right. Every time she goes to a specialist who this person happens to be a diabetic, cost her $75. Right. And this month, when she went to get her meds, Cost her three hundred dollars for insulin. Right, so she's now, paying eight thousand. Yeah, she's eleven eleven hundred a month. Eleven hundred yeah. a month. Yeah, and then another three hundred a month for meds. Right. So we're at and a seventy five dollar copay to her specialist. So she's going to yeah. put out it, it, on a good year. I mean, she's going to put out eleven. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, the eight thousand would really kick in if she were hospitalized. Oh, for sure. And she would probably pay her full boat of the eight thousand right. dollars. Hopefully, if she's not hospitalized, she can live within her copays. Mm-hmm. And but still, insulin meds three hundred dollars a month plus your seventy five dollar copay. Who can do that? Yeah, and the yeah, and the eleven hundred yeah. a month. So she's yeah, at, she's yeah, at yeah, you know fourteen yeah, yeah. fourteen grand a year on a seventy thousand dollar a year salary. Right. Yeah. Well, Larry, here's uh-huh. the question: What is the income level to qualify for subsidies? I think it's less than fifty thousand dollars a month. I mean, a, a year for a family of four. And it's actually interesting. It's it's a it's a little vague, because okay. the the bottom like how little can you make? Yeah, because if really you make until you sign up, yeah, if you if you That's make right. three thousand dollars a year or you're unemployed, you don't get subsidies. Well, I'll give you another example. I talked about the fifty thousand for a family of four. A single person making thirty thousand dollars a year would pay eighty five dollars a month. For the standard plan versus prior to this new open enrollment, that eighty-five would have been one hundred and ninety-five dollars a right. month. And I think the real news here is that added amount of cash that's actually going into the pot, because at the end of the day, every time these open enrollments occur, the biggest question is: is why do we have? Why don't we just enroll when we enroll? Because people change jobs. I mean, there's all that's these right. things. And with the ACA, if you run into a hardship and it's not during open enrollment, you can appeal. The process you can contact uh, and and actually apply at healthcare.gov and you can put in for an appeal that you're not going to wait for that but the process takes quite a while i mean i've i've uh, had some experience with talking to That's patients true, there and it Mark, takes a, yeah. takes quite a while now they will if your appeal is approved and it's after the fact if you ran into any costs prior to that you know from the time that, that you Put in your for your appeal that would be covered in it. However, the the plan works, but it does beg the question: What are the administrative costs of just having enrollment throughout, as opposed mm-hmm. to op- open enrollment? Right. Well, you know, one of the reasons that uh, uh, this has been, uh, I think, uh, successful or will be successful is Obama. Uh, I mean, uh, Trump cut the health navigation program to less than ten million dollars. Right. Under the new Biden program, they're going to spend $50 million in advertising and supporting the Health Navigator program to help people enroll. Like you say, right. it's difficult. It is difficult. Yeah. But, I mean, the biggest the biggest gap in all of this, I mean, we've, we've had open enrollment. We've had, you know, the first website, the second website. At the end of the day, we're not getting the numbers of people enrolled that were ever predicted. I mean, it's just not, it's just not how it's panning out. 
And I think you know one of the questions that we got was, mm-hmm. what changes can we expect with President Biden, and how will that? How are the things that we saw in the last few years going to change? And the reality is, is nothing has changed since day one. I mean, it's really this, right. it's the same product. It has the only thing problems. that has stayed consistent is mm-hmm. that they waive the pre-existing right, right. for patients. Right, absolutely. You can That's get care. It may cost you. But it, but if right. you qualify for a subsidy, you You're get it covered. much cheaper, right. and you can't be denied. Right, and I mean that. So on its surface, I've got no one really has a problem with that delivery. The question is, is it being talked about, or is it being used? Yeah. And it's really not being used. I, I, I'm very interested to see if this. Because I think with this additional open enrollment. It's more marketing and more PR, so that's good. So people right, are getting right. that message that's right. that they may have not, because half of the time you talk to people, uh, and I'll say, well, you know, open enrollment, open enrollment for what? And th- these are yeah. people who need insurance. Right. So it's just something that people aren't very savvy about, mm-hmm. and so this could help there. I, be, yeah. I mean, the proof will be in the numbers. If how how many fact, more people sign up? Yeah, if, in fact, 3 million more uninsured uh, became uninsured during the latter part of last year due to COVID, Right. then this could, in fact, help these people. Right. And that, so I'm really, yeah. i really like to see, and we will see, uh, the, the numbers of the, that, those additional signups. I just would like to see that the normal person who makes a decent income not have to pay those kind of dollars well, because I mean, that's not any that, good. Well, either. that's the flip side of this is yeah. where, where does the money come from? Because nobody's giving anything away from free outside some of the uh, relief acts, I guess. But, uh, you know, with these programs... We're seeing higher deductibles, uh, and as we said, not everyone qualifies for a subsidy, of course. But where does that subsidy come from in the long run? I mean, it's ta- it's taxpayer dollars. I mean, just how how does it balance out in the whole system? When I've personally seen my own costs go up significantly every year without changing the plan, right, right, it's a high deductible right. plan, and you know, it's and your patients are responsible yeah. for that copay and deductible oh, yeah. and oh, insurance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I think the uh, the one thing that we are concerned about in this bill is are these generous subsidies only temporary or are they going to be a permanent part of the uh, known Obamacare program? Well, they've only budgeted it for, for this year, that's right? right? So that's right. so you've got to figure that's going to drop out. Uh, but, you know, who knows? I mean, I can't, certainly can't predict the future the way the, way the future's gone in the last uh, 16 months. Exactly. We can't do much predicting. Okay, so, you know, we've talked about the uh, the ACA. Let's talk a little bit about three issues that are facing health care today that we've hit on in past shows, but let's hit on them a little more. All right. And that's cost and transparency, in particular, pharmaceutical costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me give you a couple stats here that I think you probably aren't aware of. Pharmaceutical manufacturers hiked the list price of 832 drugs in January, nearly 200 more than they hiked the price on in January of 2020. And that included all those drugs, with the exception of 10, were branded, and almost 200 of them were specialty drugs. Interesting, interesting. That's that's a huge difference. Yeah, and the the average Medicare beneficiary with two chronic uh, comorbidities today take at least four meds daily. Right, so they saw an increase in cost of their Exactly, exactly. And, you know, these... uh, these programs that you see on the tiered level pharmacy mm-hmm. continue to change and continue to add more dollars in the to, towards the consumer. Now, I mean that's always been a confusing point to folks, and and when there are there are programs that their meds are literally pennies or free, 
and then there's a one tier change, and they walk in and and get this giant. Oh, it's going to be eighty two dollars. You're like, hey, for, for what? I mean, that's right. not not what I've paid. So right. that's been confusing. Now I know that you have some examples of you know somebody walking in, getting a prescription, and had they not used their insurance or gone through you know another type program, that there's some savings involved. I do. Uh, an example is uh, one lady had an eleven dollar out of pocket cost that jumped to thirty five dollars. Mm-hmm. And she found out that if she had used a program called GoodRx, she would have only paid $16, which is almost half or a little less than half right. of what she would have paid her copay using her insurance. Right. I've seen the, the commercials for that, so there's, yes. some, there's some backup there, so that's good. That's good. And another thing that I thought was interesting is there was analysis done of almost 400,000 healthy Medicare beneficiaries, and they found that when the copay increases – Ten dollars or more, they don't there take is their a, meds. They don't take their meds, and and up to twenty percent of people that buy their meds don't get them when that copay increases another ten dollars. Not a shock. That's no, it's not a shock at all. And of course, that that causes more people f- to become sicker, right? And possibly right. even mortality. I mean, when we talk about compliance, day in and day out, and that's that's a big issue. Well, Larry. And Dr. Mark, cost transparency, especially specific to pharmaceutical, um, a lot of questions for our audience. Please call 407-701-7424 or healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com. We'll be right back. Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. COVID-19 impacting your practice? Patients visits down? Elective procedures pushed out? rx to live provides a turnkey solution. Chronic care management? remote patient monitoring, medication management, behavioral health screenings. Interested? RxToLive.com. Better yet, call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems, and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Looking for affordable or professional video, differentiating your business from competitors? Brand, improving online presence about me or professional videos. Sakatafilms.com, 407-860-3035. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Concerned about COVID-19, MRSA, Candida, C. diff, and more? Healthcare systems across the U.S. trust Curis disinfection systems to protect patients and staff. Curis delivers high-level disinfection products for hospitals, surgical centers, clinics, physicians' offices, and dental suites. Curis means disinfection. Go to curissystem.com. C-U-R-I-S. 
S-Y-S-T-E-M or 1-800-928-8708. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. We have a super guest joining us today, Dr. Tanya Agard. Dr. Agard is an internal medicine specialist with the Mid-Florida Hospital Specialist PA. She's practiced 26 years. She's a 1995 graduate of Pennsylvania State University College of Medicine. She is affiliated with uh, Advent Health and Orlando Health and Central Florida Regional Hospital. She is a former president of the Florida Hospital Medical Staff and past president of the Seminole County Medical Society. Welcome, Dr. Agard. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you also. Why don't you explain what a hospitalist is and what you do in the hospital? Okay, um, a hospitalist is uh, someone who uh, devotes their practice to providing medical services within the um, hospital. From the medicine side, internal medicine, we're either internal medicine or usually family practice trained. Um, there are other hospitals as well that practice things like OBGYN, um, but for from my standpoint, I'm an internal medicine physician that provides general medical uh, services to hospitalized uh, patients, and that's what hospitalists focus on. Great, great. Hey, it's Dr. Mark on this end now. We're going to, like, just hit you all or so, all sorts of fun questions here. So, so uh, yeah, it, I heard. It, it may have like a little interrogation kind of feel to it, but I apologize for that. All righty. Yeah. We get a lot of questions about hospital stays. Uh, folks, I think it's one of their biggest anxieties is they have a problem. They head to the ER, they get admitted to the hospital and they look up and they see a non-familiar face. What, what physicians are treating patients and, and how is patient care coordinated for someone who just walks in to the hospital with say chest pain or, or weakness in a limb or something like that? Uh, for someone who um, presents with uh, symptoms to the hospital, most of the time they present to the emergency department. Uh, they're evaluated there by an emergency department, emergency medicine specialist. Um, the decision is then made whether the patient needs to be cared for further within the hospital or to be discharged out of the emergency department. Um, we come into play when they, the emergency department physician decides that the patient needs to have further care within the hospital. Uh, they usually then will call one of the internal medicine or family medicine doctors to come and assess uh, the patient and to admit them to the um, hospital. Um, in seeing and assessing that patient, we then, as uh, internal medicine physicians and family medicine physicians, decide uh, who else needs to be involved in the care, meaning aside from the general care that is required, is there any specialty care uh, needed? Um, you mentioned things like chest pain or weakness, etc. That may involve specialties of internal medicine, um, namely heart doctors or cardiologists or brain doctors called neurologists. If they have a surgical problem where they need to have their gallbladder addressed or um, an abscess or something like that, then we would reach out to our surgical colleagues um, in order to get that patient cared for. Um, the patient is then taken um, into the um, hospital and is cared for by that team of physicians until the time that they're discharged or transitioned out of the hospital. 
Great, great. Okay, I think that clears it up for a lot of folks. Just last week, we were uh, answering a question regarding in-network and out-of-network care for this situation. So I hope that your answer is close to what Larry and I came up with. But you're, <laughs> if, if it's not, we're going to have to just defer to you and just delete that last episode. Exactly. So, so uh, how does in-network versus out-of-network provider care apply when you're in the hospital? Um, in terms of uh, in-network or out-of-network, we care for the patient uh, regardless of their uh, payer source or their uh, network stance. Um, in terms of the physicians we consult or involve in the care, we try to um, stay with those providers that are within their prescribed insurance network. Um, that's determined by their individual uh, payer in terms of their insurance company as to who is on their panel, so to speak. It does not um, it, it, it does not affect them as much in the hospital, possibly, as in the outpatient setting, because we want to ensure that when someone leaves the hospital, they can continue to see that same specialist. So we try to ensure that they're in-network, be cared for in the hospital, and then also in-network in order to continue that care as an outpatient so they don't have to switch between providers. You know, we didn't do too bad, Larry. We were pretty close. We were close. <laughs> okay. So, Dr. Yeah, I was Edgard... just trying to stay. That was kind of a hot <laughs> I didn't want to say it didn't matter. I was just trying to right. put it in a way where it, it, if someone has a heart attack, we're going to get Care first. the person that's available. Right. Um, right. And that's what I'm trying to convey without saying it doesn't matter to me if you have an out-of-network, you know, impossible right. charge. So right. I and I think that, that was either. right. And I think that was the thing is, you know, what would they incur? And it is a situation where after the fact they can deal with their insurance companies. This is this is what was available and you're to pay for available care. So. Uh, so, yeah, we were pretty much on the same page, I think. Yeah. Larry? You know, Dr. You Agard can, can block that out a little bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, Dr. Agard, I think the, the term hospitalist is very foreign to most uh, people out there. But in reality, what you do is you act as the primary care physician and Correct. coordinate the total care and of the patient in that. the hospital. Yes, I need to mention that. Yeah. And so how do you then coordinate care with the PCPs of the patients that you represent in the hospital? Um, we have a, um, a, a relationship with the primary care physicians for the patients that we care for. We actually represent their primary care physician while they're in the hospital. We function as that primary care physician that helps to coordinate uh, the care amongst specialists amongst ancillary services, help with uh, discharge uh, planning, um, etc. So we communicate with the PCP as to when they get admitted, when they get discharged, also providing a summary or a discharge summary or um, transition of care summary uh, to the PCP so that they can continue from the point where we've left off, which is the point at which they leave the hospital. So it helps for uh, the hospitalist to have a working relationship with the primary care physician where we can exchange information readily and have an effective way of communicating um, back and forth between uh, the two areas of care, meaning the primary care physician's office and the hospitalist who is um, functioning in the place of the primary care physician while they are in the hospital. Great, and we talk a lot about that communication gap that can occur and how important that really is. So and I, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell the listeners, I do know the answer to this question, but just to kind of throw it out there, uh, do all hospitalists work for the hospital? 
Uh, no. Um, the All hospitalists do not work for um, the hospitals. There are some that are employed um, by the hospital. There are some that are employed by insurance companies. Uh, there are some groups that are independent of both of those sources, uh, similar to my group. Great. And John, John and Larry always hit me up with, well, which doctors are better? So I'm not going to ask you that question because I always weasel around that as well. Because <laughs> you know the answer to that, don't you? You and I, I know do. the answer. I do. You know, I They're do. All great, right? I, just, I, just say, yeah, I just say I'm, you know, I'm pretty biased is the kind of way I look at it. He's so. a politician. That, that's not biased. That's knowledge poking its head out there. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I'm going to use that for sure. It's not biased. It's knowledge. So, Dr. Agard, um, what message would you have for patients or consumers who are anticipating elective procedures in the hospital, and how would you have them coordinate have them with their PCP? with their uh, primary care physician mm-hmm. so they can help to determine who would be their representative and the best person to represent them in the hospital in taking care of these patients that are from their office that they know very well and know their conditions very well. It's, it seems to work a lot better when there's a working relationship between a primary care physician and the hospital's physician that they feel comfortable with. Uh, someone who understands who they work best with in terms of specialists, um, how they like their patients to be taken care of in the, um, in the hospital, as well as who they find easy to work with on the outside and trying to replicate that while they're in the hospital to ensure a smooth transition across the continuum of care. And I think one of the one of the metrics that we talk about a lot is discharge planning. And there can be a lot of cooks in the kitchen in the hospital. Um, how, how does the hospitalist come into the discharge planning part? Um, in terms of the number of physicians that are involved in the case, uh, that needs to be managed by the attending physician, which is usually the, the hospitalist. Um, as a hospitalist, it's your job. It is our job to ensure we have everyone on the case that is needed um, and also to manage that daily as to who needs to still be involved uh, versus who has offered the help we need and no longer needs to continue seeing the patient. Otherwise, it can be confusing when you have many physicians coming into the room. Uh, the other thing is that the hospitalist should be that point of contact for the patient, for the family, to help to assimilate all those opinions, all the other doctors that are coming in, and be that source of truth that coordinates the care amongst all of the consultants um, in order for the family to understand what's going on from every aspect of their medical care. Okay, and I had some, just a curiosity. I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show is health care cost. So I think listeners can sort of listen to what we just went over and think, well, did we just add somebody to pay in this process? And again, you know, this is a loaded question, but how do you see the hospitalist program fitting into the success of bringing the overall health care cost down? Great question. Um, hospitalists um, uh, assist in bringing uh, costs down in that they can communicate with the primary care physician to avoid duplication of care, meaning if we have previous uh, studies, previous conditions that are already being managed as an outpatient, that we not uh, try to recreate or uh, manage those chronic conditions 
while they're in the hospital where it's better suited to continue in the outpatient setting because in communication with the primary care physician, you have knowledge of what's already been worked on, um, looked at, and is currently being managed. Um, in addition, it's helpful to have one unifying force or one unifying physician who helps to manage all of the um, all the opinions, all of the consultant uh, input, um, and be able to put that together and come up with a unified uh, plan of care. You know, Dr. Um, Agard, we're kind of running out of time, but uh, I tell you, I appreciate you being on this morning, and we we look forward to having you on again. You've brought some very valuable and needed information to our listeners. Hopefully, we can have you on the show at another time. Great to hear from you. Thank you, Dr. Agard. I would like that. Okay. Thank you for your time. Thanks. So much for our audience to consider. Please share your questions, 407-701-7424 or healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com. Orlando Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Are improved patient outcomes valuable? Improved chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, medication management, all without increasing practice workload or expenses. rx to live provides a turnkey solution. Interested? rxtolive.com or call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. That's 609-605-6859. Orlando Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance, 407-228-4774, or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Looking for affordable or professional video, differentiating your business from competitors? Brand, improving online presence about me or professional videos. Sakatafilms.com, 407-860-3035. Concerned about COVID-19, MRSA, Candida, C. diff, and more? Healthcare systems across the U.S. trust Cures Disinfection Systems to protect patients and staff. Cures delivers high-level disinfection products for hospitals, surgical centers, clinics, physicians' offices, and dental suites. Curis means disinfection. Go to curissystem.com, C-U-R-I-S-S-Y-S-T-E-M, or 1-800-928-8708. Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. When we left off, we were talking about uh, cost transparency and, more importantly, the expense related to pharmaceutical. Dr. Mark, can you share what your experience has well, been with patients and non-compliant? Pharmacy costs are one of the biggest topics for consumers today. Now, we had, a, we had planned this segment to cover some other things, but 
we started with talking about pharmacy. It got got rolling there. I just think there's a lot more that we can talk about, Larry. I mean, I think Without we can talk doubt. about real life experiences and how patient can better manage their pharmacy utilization. Exactly, Dr. Mark. You're right. The cost of drugs today causes people not to get the care they need. And it was estimated, and talking to people like Dr. Agard, they had estimated that 40% of readmissions or even admissions to the hospital were due to medication contraindication. Right. People not having the right direction on old drugs that they have in their house Mm -hmm. versus the new drugs that they're being prescribed. And and back to that communication and ideas of one doctor doing one thing and another doctor doing another and the elderly couple that shows up at home with all the, well, is this, do I replace this? Do I throw that out? You know, John, you, you had an experience recently, if you don't mind sharing. Sure. And your primary care provider is supposed to be the gatekeeper and coordinator, but I just don't see how he could ever accomplish that. We recently moved my mother-in-law into an ALF, and as we emptied out our house, we literally had a milk crate that was overflowing with different uh, medications that I had to take and and properly dispose of at the police department. That's crazy. It is. It is. And I think that's that's such a common story. I mean, you've got meds that are just not taken, meds that are expired, meds that are duplicated. And I mean, I think we all can talk about our parents and seeing some of those challenges. There's the organization of that alone. But Back to the cost. I mean, cost yep. comes into a big play because I think a lot of folks sit there and they, they're, they're making their budget on a fixed income. And if the doctor writes a prescription, they go to pick it up and they find they're going to shell this out. They, the first thing they're going to sacrifice is their own health. I, I mean, mean it's, we, it's we talked earlier it, about yeah. diabetic insulin, $300 yep. a month on top right. of a $75 copay to go right. see their, their physician. Yep. Who can do that every yeah. month? No, it is. It's And this is not something that's gone down. Now, there, there are meds. There are different programs. We had mentioned uh, one of the the programs out there that helps you get lower price. How does that work? And I know also that some of the pharmacies offer some of their meds at a very reduced cost and sometimes even free for certain antibiotics and things like that. We talked about in the break on some of the places that you can get uh, 80 or 90 different antibiotics Mm -hmm. for a zero copay at uh, Publix, uh, Walmart, and some of the other places. But the other thing I think that uh, people need to understand is it's estimated that only 50% of seniors actually pick up the medications that are ordered for them. Right. And only 50% of the 50% that bring it home take it appropriately. Right. And, and there's technologies and plans out there that track. And some of our EMRs, our, our electronic medical record systems in our, our offices, will actually follow up text or call if we enter that we gave this prescription – and we do the prescriptions electronically, and our EMR communicates and knows if it was picked up or not. So there are some systems, I tell you, it, it's, I'm not a primary care physician, but I can imagine if I needed to see 60 patients, uh, I but don't know. But you prescribe you know, meds I, to your I, patients I, I on a regular basis, I, right? I do. Well, yeah. I, but not yeah. nearly as much as the primary care. I mean, they right. must right. just go. It's, it's an entire job just to do that. But those types of things, I, I have to feel like that's going to in, in, increase compliance, right? right. Just that right. reminder. But cost is still, that doesn't help the cost. Right. Well, and that, that brings us to one of a, a shameless plug, but Rx to Live, uh, one of the products they offer primary, primary providers is medication management and follow-up. Uh, there's an, a, a need in this country. Yeah, yeah, there's no question. There's no question that we're, we're doing a terrible, terrible job there, and, and we need to rely on technology Caregivers. to figure that out. Yep. Caregivers in the home. Oh, yeah. What what John had mentioned earlier, the key there was you went into your, I think you said your mother-in-law, 
and saw those meds and knew what to do with them. The educated healthcare consumer has to get to that point. Right. No question. And and I think, you know, when we talk about this, we think about, well, if you don't take the med and you have that side effect of whatever you were being treated, you know, that that effect comes back. Mm-hmm. But let's let's take something simple, like somebody who has reflux. Okay, they get they right. heartburn, right? Prilosec. So, so, so they get Prilosec. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they get the Prilosec. Mm-hmm. They either don't buy it or they don't take it. Well, then they're going to have chest pain. And if they're 82 years old and they're having heartburn and they walk into an ER and they say, where it is, they could, it hurts they could right also here. Have choking syndrome. Yeah. Well, they come in and get a full cardiac workup because they didn't get the med. And or, a GI or not taking it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, some of the things that come back can, can be life-threatening. But I would have to argue that all of them are financially threatening, that, you know, just skipping that, you know, that, that noncompliance, for whatever reason, has a real economic result. Earlier, we had talked about uh, 832 drugs had been increased in right. January of this year, just right. 60 days ago, or not, yeah, 60 days ago, and all but 10 of them were branded. So 822 of them were branded drugs. So let's talk about the difference between branded and generic. All right. so when somebody comes out with a new medication, they get a patent on it. And it's a branded medication, and they can charge whatever they charge, and they have a period of time, which varies a little bit. The patent is a a steady amount of time, but depending on when they get the patent versus when it gets on the market, that they're the only game in town. Now, once that patent runs out, if it's a medication that is is useful and is used a lot, there's likely going to be a competitor that is going to come out and come up with a generic version at a lower price. Not always. I can give you a good example of what you're talking about, Dr. Mark. Humira, rheumatoid arthritis, and And they use it for other things, Mm -hmm. has grown 21% in cost in two years, and ABBVIA Pharmaceuticals yielded $130 billion in sales from 2010 to 2019. They hold dozens of patents on the drug, granting exclusive marketing privileges, and the only other biosimilar drug that's going to hit the market to compete against them isn't going to happen until 2023. Yep, and they can make Perfect small example changes. Of what yeah. you're talking they can make small yeah. changes. Yeah. One of my favorites is taking two generic drugs and putting them together in one pill, and it's not generic anymore. If they go through the FDA and they get a different utilization code and, and that kind of thing. So pharma is definitely a tricky, tricky business for all of us, and it accounts for a huge amount of our yearly expenditure. No question. And, and back up a few minutes, and if it was more effective, maybe you could argue that it's worth it. Exactly. Here's here's another challenge. Most insurance plans now, when you order a prescription, want a three month, want you to buy three months in advance. Normally, you can save one copay by doing that. Now, here's the challenge with that. Most illicit drugs getting on the street today are coming out of mom and dad's medicine cabinet. The kids are taking it. That's a fact. Yeah, you can't you can't do that with narcotics though. So there so there's definitely uh, in the state of Florida especially, but really nationwide now they have pushed pretty hard to control that. Probably the only process that the state's really gotten in deep with is on narcotics. But to your point, True. there's some other drugs. I was thinking that people get meds changed in that period of time, too. So you get your three months. It's kind of like buying a warranty for the tires that aren't going to last. And you go in to see your doctor, and he changes your blood pressure medicine. You did skip one copay, but you still had to pay for what it was. And so that's not necessarily a great thing. Now, let me tell you another th- issue that I see on a regular basis with the patients that we take care of under IPN and our value-based programs. Many of these people, and John, you hit on this three-month mail-order pharmacy, and these people will get on a regular auto supply. Exactly. And then in month two, the physician changes their prescription, and guess what happens in month three? 
they continue their auto supply until right. they cut it off. Right. And these meds, the cost and the meds themselves go to waste. We're talking millions of dollars a year in wasted pharmaceutical drugs and cost as a result of this program. So, Dr. Mark, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it's it's another one of those big pitfalls on the pharma side. I mean, and it's there's a there's also a danger of them taking both drugs. So right. let's That's say they're true. both they're both antihypertensives. Yeah. Right, going to end up back in the ER. Exactly. So we go back to the idea that what we need is a way to identify the patient's medical record stem to stern. Right. So everything that they all the drugs that anybody has them on and what they have active. We need a better tracking system. It's a catch-22. Certainly, if you could save a copay by getting three months' supply and mail order with two copays, that's a good thing. It is. But it's not a good thing if the drugs go to waste in your pharmacy company and you are paying the out-of-pocket cost when they change drugs. And I tell you, I've seen in these primary care offices that sometimes the families come in with a big satchel of drugs and they want to sit them down to say, which ones do I need? Well, you think like, oh, well, gee, the doctor can figure that out. Well, you can't because not all the drugs came from that doctor. And certainly that physician doesn't want to say, oh, well, you were given this by your dermatologist. I don't want to. I mean, I'm not a dermatologist, but do you need this? I mean, it's really it's a it's a huge problem. So what about the huge advertising demand that we see every time you turn the TV on, you see a new drug. Uh, so, even Humira, you yeah. see it almost every day on the so so TV. they changed up. It used to be that drugs were only marketed to prescribers, and for a while that got a lot of people in trouble too, right? Especially right. when we we're right. talking about narcotics. Right. There were issues with kickbacks and uh, utilization stimulants and all these kinds of things. So there have been different ways that it kind of dumbed it down a bit, and it's then they they would put it out in in our journals. You know, they put out advertisements. Well, now you're talking about direct-to-consumer advertising. Exactly. So the idea here is the consumer goes to their doctor and says, hey, I saw this medication. Why don't you put me on that? And it, and it happens a, every day. It happens I talk every to day. docs every day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's a it's a thing. I think a lot of the physicians feel like I'm I the one that's supposed it. to be qualified, but mm-hmm. I also need to keep people happy because we need that's to get to patient key. satisfaction. We're going to talk about that next week. It it's but, puts yeah. pressure on the physician yeah. to order those new branded yeah. drugs at a high cost yeah. when there might be a generic equivalent at a, at a fifth of the cost. But, you know, the pharma's paying for those ads, so they must work. Well, more, more money in the pot. But with a, uh, an aging population, you know, you've got seniors that don't have the money for these expensive drugs. It's, you've got 30 million seniors on Medicare out of 61 that take at least four medications a day. That's a lot. Observed it multiple times. Exactly. Rest on that. All right, so we're coming up to the uh, next break there and one final segment today, right? Yes, and I want to encourage our audience to uh, reach out to us. With your questions, healthcare now at orlandomedicalnews.com or better yet, 407 701 7424. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. COVID-19 impacting your practice? Patients' visits down? Elective procedures pushed out? Rx to Live provides a turnkey solution. Chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, medication management, behavioral health screenings. Interested? RxToLive.com. Better yet, call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. 609-605-6859. 
Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. Concerned about COVID-19, MRSA, Candida, C. diff, and more? Healthcare systems across the U.S. trust Curis disinfection systems to protect patients and staff. Curis delivers high-level disinfection products for hospitals, surgical centers, clinics, physicians' offices, and dental suites. Curis means disinfection. Go to curissystem.com, C-U-R-I-S-S-Y-S-T-E-M, or 1-800-928-8708. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. COVID 19 has uh, been a focus of hospitals, healthcare facilities, businesses, and restaurants to consider decontamination. Today we are joined by Francis Grinstead, who is a leader in that field. Francis has worked in bio decontamination for over a decade, leading innovation in high level disinfection, nationally and internationally. As the first to develop a truly portable decontamination device and a bio-decontamination service for outbreak control, she has created a market that others now emulate, specializing in organizations with high traffic areas. She has worked with multiple facilities to develop and implement fact-based programs to minimize risk, helping to prevent the spread of infectious disease. Welcome, Francis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So here's the million-dollar question. You're a veteran, but why did you uh, start your con- your company, Curis System? Oh, gosh. Um, well, as you mentioned, uh, I've been in high-level disinfection for over 10 years, and Curis System started back in 2013. Um, and I worked it with healthcare facilities and high-traffic facilities frequently for uh, infection prevention and control methods of of multiple types, but specifically device disinfection. Um, And so, you know, I wanted to have a device that would be able to service the healthcare industry um, and provide really good efficacy. um, And during the course of all of that, um, our daughter, Gabriella, contracted a resistant staph infection and uh, watching her battle through that for um, years and many surgeries and many medications um, really kind of drove us to make a better product. At that point, it was more important uh, than ever to build a product that wasn't um, just like everything else on the market. We really wanted to develop something that was um, efficacious and um, would kill the easy-to-kill stuff like the staph and the coronavirus, but also the really hard-to-kill stuff like C. diff and candida. Um, it really taught us that we wanted to make it push-button disinfection because it's got to be easy. If it's not easy, it's just going to sit in the closet and none of us are going to use it. So um, if it's easy, easy and automated and I can push a button and walk away and reach every nook, cranny, and crevice, Uh, we think we did a good job there, and that's what we wanted to shoot for. Um, I think first and foremost in what we were developing uh, was the efficacy of the device. Uh, It had to be a six-log reduction. We wanted to have a lot of nines because those nines matter. So when you see a product that says um, 99.9%, you think, wow, that's really good. I'm doing a good job. 
But there's actually a scale to that, and 99.9% means that you potentially left um, up to a 1,000 organisms left on a surface if your product only achieves 99.9%. So we wanted to make sure that we were as efficacious as possible with a six-log reduction, and we shoot for 99.9999%, and that is a six-log reduction. Um because we really don't like leaving things to chance. Um, we know that infectious dose, which is what it takes to make a sick, can be just a few particles or a few organisms, um, as little as one, five, or ten. So a thousand, well, that's leaving quite a bit to chance. Um, another thing that we did, and uh, it was go a step above and beyond. We didn't want to go the route of spray and pray, which is what we call it, you spray something on a surface and really hope and pray that you killed what you think you killed. Um, we actually uh, paired our system with biological indicators of a really hard-to-kill bacterial spore so that you know each and every time you use the product that you killed something really hard to kill. And it makes you um, understand that what you achieved in that space is really significant. Hey, this um, is uh, Dr. Mark. I'm going to really- jump in and ask you to tell the tell the listeners a little bit about what your system is. We, we've got the background information, but haven't shared that. So, Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Um, sometimes I get excited about the science of that it and was, forget it's to good tell science. what it is. It's good science. <laughs> I can understand. Um, what we have is, what we have developed in Cura system is a hybrid hydrogen peroxide system. And um, that is a system that places uh, disinfectant into a space and can um, do so in a particle size that's smaller than smoke. So those disinfecting pieces, parts, are getting to every nook, cranny, and crevice and disinfecting as it goes um, and achieving uh, a six-log reduction against things like C. diff. Um, so that's really what Cura system is. Uh, it's a hybrid hydrogen peroxide system. So where can it, where can can it be, be used in the hospital? Yeah. Or anywhere? It can be used, Yeah. Um, oh gosh, if, if we're, you, <laughs> well, with the, the invention of COVID, we've been able to see our product used in a, a multitude of different ways. Uh, if you're the healthcare coalitions, um, you're using it in COVID wards and ERs, even stairwells in these hospitals. Uh, if you're the National Guard, you're doing prisons and you're doing nursing facilities, uh, uh, daycares. So it's it's there's no seems to be no end to how the product is being used lately, and that's due to the portability and the versatility of the system. Um, and you know it's it's really incredible. Um, well, Francis, offices. this is Larry. Uh, just a question. Yeah. You know we've been seeing these ads on TV where they're fogging airplanes uh, to clean them once they're landing every time, and I gather that's due to COVID, but. Is this the same type of product, or is this a different product? So um, when they're doing that in the commercials that I've seen, Mm -hmm. I believe those are electrostatic sprayers. We do, of course, have many airlines that are fogging with our product um, successfully, but those are electrostatic sprayers. So it's used kind of like an automated handheld system um, that can spray a surface. It's just like a spray and wipe that you pump with your hand, but it's instead it's using an automated system. 
So I get that you can use it in the hospitals, and I'm certainly in nursing homes uh, and long-term care facilities. But what about the physician office and even the home? Right. Uh, it is being used in physician offices all over the country. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is in, in dental offices, you name it. Um, certainly, they're using it in different ways. They either fog the entire space at the end of the night, or they um, use the attachments and they spray down the high-touch surfaces. So, yeah, certainly those areas are being treated quite frequently with the Cura system. I've got, I've got two uh, questions. One is a question about safety and exposure, and the other is, you know, we're all, and I say we, I mean everybody, is trying to figure out how to disinfect everything as individuals. What's the most common mistake that we make, not just as healthcare providers, but I mean just in general when we think clean is clean, what what have we forgotten? Right. Um, So I'll take that in two segments. Uh, First, with respect to the safety of any chemical disinfectant or cleaning agent. Um, I know we often hear things like, oh, no PPE necessary. You should always wear PPE. You should wear long sleeves and gloves, and you should, you know, have protection so that you don't breathe in any of these um, products because, you know, it's just not good for us. It's designed to kill something. So, you want to make sure that any time you're using anything that you would be well protected while using them. Um, and then the second part of that is what's the most common mistake? Gosh, um, I think my most concerning um, one that I have seen is really misuse of the disinfectants that are out there on the market right now. Um, you know, the EPA does a really good job of making a label that goes on the bottle of these disinfectants, and those labels tell us how to use it, you know, if the product has to stay wet for five minutes or ten minutes. And wet actually means wet. If you're like me, before I got into this industry, I would um, spray a surface with my disinfectant and then come right behind it immediately and wipe right. it off right. and then go on to the next surface. Well, I didn't realize it at the time, but what I was doing was, you know, moving the germs from one area to another because I never let it stay wet for the right amount of time because I didn't bother reading the back of a label. So really, this is my, my you know, they, the, again, the EPA goes through a lot of trouble making sure that there's really concise and specific instructions on how we should use these things, how long they should stay wet, what it kills, and how many nines there are. Um, all of that is on the label if we read it. And um, it really tells us how to use it properly. And I, I worry about folks who go out and they have a um, hand sprayer, for example, an automated hand sprayer, and they think, oh, well, this will make me go faster because I've got this automated hand sprayer. But the, the bottle mm-hmm. says that you have to stay wet for 10 minutes, and it's barely mm-hmm. moist. Right. Um, so, so, Francis, you know, what about, that, uh, what about uh, contact with chemicals or harmful pathogens how do you help prevent that uh, by doing your fogging program versus uh, entering a room with uh, and having to wipe it all down? Right. Um, you know, using Cura System is an excellent way that you can prevent contact with dangerous pathogens. Um, and it's being used in this way, for example, in COVID wards or even in EMS. They fog it first, then they go in and clean, and then they fog again. Um, for the disinfectant afterwards, uh, that makes it possible to a not come in contact with um, dangerous pathogens. Um, 
and try not to do that. And then it also makes it possible to not be in the space when um, there is a chemical disinfection happening, which really is our goal. We don't want to have to breathe all these things in, and we don't want to have to touch them and let them get on our skin. Um, so even though it's hydrogen peroxide that we're using, hybrid hydrogen peroxide, at 7%, still, it isn't something that, you know, we want to, you know, lather on us like a lotion. We want to be careful. Not yet, anyways. Maybe soon, but not yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Francis, I I know the application is for commercial and health care, but do you see a residential application coming in the near future? Well, I will say uh, one of the parts of our company is to uh, teach implementation of environmental disinfection to uh, companies. And so we have taught many, many service companies how to disinfect. And and they do um, lots of office buildings and even residential um, is what I'm hearing. So um, it is a, um, you know, do I see the homeowner themselves purchasing this themselves? I really um, am not sure. Um, we really ask that um, that people understand what they're doing, and so it's not picking up a bottle of spray and wipe. It, you know, there's. It, we want them to be sure they understand what they're doing. Francis, um, so I'm, not, I'm sorry. Yeah. We're we're nearing the end of a segment. How can our audience uh, get in touch with you and get more information? Sure. Um, for more information on Curis System. Uh, visit curisystem.com, which is C-U-R-I-S-S-Y-S-T-E-M, or you can phone our office at 800-928-8708. Thanks. Hopefully you'll join us again. Thank you, Francis. That was great. Appreciate it. Thanks. Today's healthcare consumer has options, but navigating the current healthcare system can be a minefield, which Healthcare Now is committed to helping you through. Thank you to my co-host, Dr. Mark with Pediatric Surgery PA, Larry Jones with the Integrated Independent Physicians Network, and please join me in recognizing our advertising partners who make this conversation possible. Diana Sicato with Sicato Films, John Fogarty with Rx to Live, Francis Grinstead with Curis Decontamination Systems, Nick DiOrio with Healthy Soul, and myself, John Kelly, with the Orlando Medical News. Larry? Yeah, Dr. Mark, I've enjoyed again another hour spending with you. Always do. Another good morning. And uh, we'll continue our discussion on educating healthcare consumers and talking about the truth about the U.S. healthcare system. Can't wait. You know, the greatest gift you can give your family in the world is a healthy you. See you next week. You feel better now? We hope you do. Join us again next week for Healthcare Now. For a podcast of this program, go to theanswerorlando.com.